Welcome to the Communique podcast. The objectives of the Communiques are to develop, produce and distribute electronic educational publications that encourage clinical practice to change for the benefits of patients, residents, health and aged care services and the whole community. Over half of our subscribers attribute a change in their clinical practice due to the communique. The print versions in these podcasts present cases of premature and preventable deaths that occur in health and aged care settings. We explore three areas. What happened? Why did it happen? And what action can we take to prevent it from happening again? The cases are the accounts from the completed medico-legal death investigation of the coroner's court and our team of senior medical and nursing practitioner present this coronial information in a manner and format that is familiar to clinicians. Our three publications are the clinical communique, focusing on acute care, the future leaders communique, designed for recent health graduates, and the residential aged care communique, which examines deaths in aged care or nursing homes. The online print versions are available at our website, thecommuniques.com, which also includes the resources recommended for each edition. Welcome to episode six of our podcast series. This features material from our November 2020 edition of the Residential Aged Care Communique. I'm Professor Joseph Ibrahim, the Editor-in-Chief of that edition. This podcast focuses on the COVID-19 pandemic and its continuing impact in aged care homes. In this podcast, we have focused on providing a range of clinical cases demonstrating the different presentations of COVID-19 in older persons. The podcast begins with a joint editorial written by myself and Dr. Chelsea Baird. We then move on to examine multiple case reports from around the world of how COVID-19 presents in older people looking at three different clinical settings. This will include the atypical presentations of COVID-19 and the challenges of management in older people. The second half of the podcast provides brief summaries of important inquiries into the management of COVID-19 outbreaks in aged care. These include a report into the New March House, Amnesty International's report titled As If Expendable from the United Kingdom, Australia's Royal Commission's Special Reporting to Aged Care and COVID-19, and from Canada, the inquiry being held in Ontario into long-term care. The podcast closes with new information. It describes a clinical screening tool for COVID-19 that can be implemented in residential aged care to assist with early identification of people with the infection. Let's now listen to the editorial. Contents of this podcast include an editorial, case report number one, that's not COVID-19, Case report number two, challenges of isolation and environment. Case report number three, COVID-19 and mental health. And sections, New March House COVID-19 outbreak. As if expendable, aged care and COVID-19, a special report. Ontario's long-term care COVID-19 commission and a clinical screening tool for COVID-19 in residential aged care facilities.
Welcome to the final issue of 2020, a busy, exhausting and tragic year. This edition focuses on coronavirus disease 2019, COVID-19 and aged care. This is the third of our five issues published this year to address the COVID-19 pandemic. While there is much fatigue and a desire to move on from this pandemic, the havoc it wreaks in residential aged care is profound around the world, with almost half of all deaths occurring in aged care residents who typically comprise less than 1% of the population. In Australia, and in particular Victoria, we are now all very aware of the vulnerability of the healthcare system and the toll that COVID-19 can rapidly inflict on our older populations. Throughout Victoria's second wave, our residential aged care facilities were quickly exposed as sites of rapid and dangerous viral spread. Delivery of health and aged care has necessarily changed in a very short period of time. These changes continue to impact the way we work every day in residential aged care facilities, clinics and hospitals, even as we return to some normality in our day-to-day -day lives. These include the direct and indirect consequences of living and working through a pandemic, impacts on mental health, isolation from family and friends, communication difficulties, patients separated from loved ones at the end of life, and the consequences of loneliness on older people. We have drawn case studies from the published literature that highlight some of the changes and challenges that have been faced over the course of the pandemic. We have all seen or heard cases similar to the ones presented below, representing various aspects of clinical care of patients during COVID-19. This issue includes summaries of public inquiries into COVID-19 and aged care from United Kingdom, Canada and Australia. These have common themes around the suffering of residents, family and staff. The lessons are to have better planning and preparation, be proactive, infection control and prevention, and the value of and need for additional staff. Also, the importance of close collaboration between health and aged care services and having clarity about roles and responsibilities. To round out the addition, we describe a clinical screening tool to detect early changes in residents. Our team worked with Safer Care Victoria to get this tool developed and launched into the field. Let's now listen to a description of our first case report. It's titled, That's Not COVID-19. Two atypical presentations of COVID-19 in older persons. Case Precy author, Dr. Chelsea Baird, Geriatric Medicine Specialist, Department of Forensic Medicine, Monash University, and Subacute Service, Queen Elizabeth Centre, Ballarat Health Service. Case 1.1. Ward and colleagues report four older people with a mean age of 83.3 years living in a personal care home in a large metropolitan area were all diagnosed with COVID-19. In all four residents, the initial presentation was an altered mental status. The classic symptoms of fever, cough, or respiratory distress were not present. All patients had significant coexisting medical conditions, including a diagnosis of dementia. Their presenting symptoms included confusion, agitation, 
refusing care, diarrhea, and loss of appetite. All four patients were transferred to an acute medical hospital where chest x-rays demonstrated changes consistent with pneumonia and COVID-19 swabs subsequently returned positive. Time from the onset of altered mental state to diagnosis of COVID-19 ranged from three to seven days. Case 1.2. Isaiah and colleagues report an 83-year-old woman from home with past history of long-standing Alzheimer's dementia complicated by dysphagia presented to an emergency department with mild fever and drowsiness. She was hypoxic and hypertensive and unable to swallow food, drink or medications. An initial nasopharyngeal COVID swab was negative. Treatment commenced with oxygen supplementation and intravenous fluids and antibiotics with minimal improvement in her conscious state. Eight days later, the patient was transferred home under the care of the hospital at home service. Four days after returning home, she became hypoxic and developed diarrhea. The COVID-19 swab was repeated and was positive. She received supportive care at home, including oxygen, fluids, parenteral nutrition, anticoagulant therapy, and systemic steroids. Comments from the author. These two case studies demonstrate the varied and atypical presentations of COVID-19 in the older population. Detecting deterioration in older people is a nuanced skill. Traditional symptoms and signs of illness may often be lacking in the presentation of many diseases in older people. Clinical changes can be subtle, such as a change in level of function or increased tiredness. Symptoms may fluctuate. Levels of alertness and confusion may change by the hour, and fever may be absent. Patients with cognitive or sensory impairment may be unable to communicate their concerns or needs. Trends in vital signs may predict clinical deterioration before the vital signs reach abnormal parameters. Recognising changes in clinical state are vital for early diagnosis and treatment. In the context of COVID-19, it is also important due to wider public health implications, including the need to rapidly isolate, test and diagnose COVID-19 to prevent spread. COVID-19 is still often described as a respiratory illness. However, waiting for the development of respiratory symptoms delays diagnosis and testing thresholds must be lower. In residential aged care, consistency of staff who are familiar with the personalities, needs and routines of residents is essential in order to detect subtle changes early. Loss of appetite may first be noticed by kitchen staff. Families may be the first to notice something isn't quite right with their loved one. However, visitors in residential aged care facilities have been restricted. Clear avenues of communication to promptly escalate concerns are required in order to reduce delays. Let's now listen to a description of our second set of case reports titled Challenges of Isolation and Environment. Case 2.1. 
Fahidin colleagues report a 62-year-old woman, patient A, with a past history of narcissistic personality disorder, was transferred from her skilled nursing facility to a psychiatric inpatient unit after a suicide attempt. She was medically and psychiatrically assessed and found to have no medical or mood issues other than insomnia. On day two of her admission, patient A developed a dry cough but otherwise felt well and declined to have her vitals taken. As a precaution, she was placed in isolation and later agreed to have her vitals taken. 12 hours later, patient A developed a fever. She was transferred to a medical ward where she was confirmed to be COVID-19 positive. Patient B was an 83-year-old man with a past history of Alzheimer's dementia who was a co-patient on the same psychiatric ward. He exhibited mood lability, agitation, intermittent biting and scratching, as well as spitting, likely due to a combination of pooling of secretions and exacerbated by antipsychotics. Due to exposure to patient A, there were concerns that patient B had been exposed to COVID-19. Patient B was confined to his room and the frequency of observations was increased. This resulted in patient B becoming more agitated, resulting in multiple behavioural codes with minimal benefit from medications for agitation. Patient B's mood deteriorated. One of his main coping strategies previously had been walking about the unit. He was unable to adhere to universal masking procedures and staff were concerned about his spitting and the risk of disease transmission. Pharmaceutical treatment options considered were likely to exacerbate patient B's underlying cognitive impairment or expose staff to risk due to the need to administer intrabuccal treatments. Ultimately, the decision was made to allow patient B to move freely about the unit when other patients were in their rooms. He remained asymptomatic never reached the threshold for COVID-19 testing. Case 2.2. Nardine and colleagues report a 78-year-old man with a past medical history of moderate Alzheimer's dementia was admitted to an aged psychiatric ward with worsening confusion after his partner fell ill and was no longer able to care for him. Daytime respite in a nursing home had ceased two months prior due to nationwide lockdowns. On day two of admission, he developed a dry cough, fever, and shortness of breath. He was transferred to a general hospital and was diagnosed with COVID-19. He died three days later, alone. His partner was also diagnosed with COVID-19 and suffered only a mild illness, later recovering. Several other inpatients from the psychiatric ward, as well as staff, developed symptoms and were placed into isolation. None of the patients tested positive, however, they remained in isolation until their symptoms resolved. In one case, a co-patient with a chronic psychotic disorder destabilised in isolation, becoming severely psychotic. She declined medications, resulting in coerced admission and compulsory treatment. Comments from the author. COVID-19 pandemic responses in Australia early in 2020 focused on the intensive care response, increasing capacity in our intense care units by creating more beds, upskilling the workforce and increasing ventilator access. However, in Victoria's second wave, 
the pandemic played out in other areas of our community and health service, especially our residential aged care facilities. These RAC environments were not designed with pandemic planning in mind. They are designed to have a sense of homeliness with areas for communal living and social interaction. These two cases describe the difficulties with managing positive or suspected positive COVID-19 patients in an inpatient psychiatric unit. Again, these wards are not designed with infection control measures in mind. In fact, therapeutic interaction and socialization are fundamental to psychiatric recovery. These cases also describe the impact that isolation and confinement can have on the mental state of persons with dementia or mental illness. The deterioration in mental state and increase in agitation as a direct consequence of isolation are entirely predictable. The cases also raise the ethical issue of restraint use in the context of COVID-19. How do we weigh up the risk of confinement of the individual versus the potential risk of COVID-19 transmission to many other patients, residents and staff? There are also inherent risks to staff who are responsible for providing care, performing invasive nasopharyngeal swabs or taking vital signs. Let's now listen to a description of our third set of case reports titled COVID-19 and Mental Health. Narding and colleagues report a 67-year-old woman with no significant past medical or psychiatric history was urgently referred to outpatient psychiatric services due to the onset of severe anxiety, depressed mood and nihilistic thoughts. She manifested COVID-19 delusions and worried obsessively about her 35-year-old daughter. The patient developed suicidal ideation, believing that she was the cause of the COVID-19 pandemic in the Netherlands and that the world would be saved if she died. This was the patient's first psychiatric presentation and required treatment with tricyclic antidepressants. Comments from the author. This case provides an example of psychological impact of the pandemic. People may experience high degrees of panic, anxiety and distress. Control measures such as lockdowns isolate us from friends and family. Mood, sleep and substance abuse issues also factor into psychiatric manifestations of the pandemic. Symptoms may be exhibited not just by those with known mental health issues, but as in this case, in people with no known psychiatric past history. Let's now listen to the pricey and comments into the outcome of an inquiry into one aged care facility titled New March House COVID-19 Outbreak Final Review. New March House COVID-19 Outbreak Final Review. From Carmel Young, RN Research Nurse, Health and Law in Aging Research Unit, Monash University. Background. Between the 11th of April and the 15th of June, 2020, Newmarch House experienced a COVID-19 outbreak with 71 cases of COVID-19. The infection affected 37 residents and 34 staff members. Of the 19 residents who died, 
17 were directly attributed to COVID-19. On the 24th of August, 2020, the Australian Government's Department of Health released a report into the COVID-19 outbreak at Newmarch House, New South Wales, to understand what occurred and what could be learned. The 35-page report is the culmination of a review by Professor Lynn Gilbert and adjunct Professor Alan Lilly. A review of the regulatory action of the Aged Care Quality and Safety Commission was not in the scope of their investigation. Findings of the report. The following is a summary that highlights some of the key issues. Newmarch House is a 102-bed residential aged care facility. It had an exemplary accreditation history, meeting all 44 expected outcomes. The last accreditation was conducted November 2018. The provider had previous experience with and successfully managed gastroenteritis and influenza outbreaks. They had developed an infection prevention and control action plan for how to handle the pandemic if it affected any of their residential aged care facilities. However, the plan did not allow for the rapidly increasing numbers of seriously ill and dying residents. The day after Newmarch House was informed of the infection at the home, a team of public health officers attended. They identified seven staff members who were close contacts of one or both of the first two cases, one staff member and one resident, and required them to home quarantine. The Director of Infectious Diseases visited Newmarch House the same day and recommended that residents with COVID-19 be admitted to hospital in the home program. However, there were significant impediments to this plan as hospital in the home staff were not familiar with the regular care needs of residents. Another important issue was a lack of adequate provision for medical care of the majority of residents who remained COVID-19 free, noting that this was not the responsibility of the hospital in the home program. General practitioners were underutilized in the early weeks of the outbreak. Those who regularly cared for residents were not immediately informed of the outbreak, even when their patients were infected. It was expected that many residents would require palliation. An increased number of restricted Schedule 8 drugs were delivered, but there were inadequate locked spaces to store them. Early in the outbreak, many of the Newmarch House staff were identified as close contacts of confirmed cases and required to self-quarantine. The situation was magnified by initial confusion about the correct use of the required personal protection equipment, which resulted in more staff needing to self-quarantine. Staff shortages peaked in the first five days of the outbreak, which was exacerbated by significantly increased acuity of residents. From the time the first staff member tested positive for COVID-19 on the 11th of April, 2020, Case numbers among staff steadily increased until the 12th of May, day 31, with 34 cases, whereas spread of COVID-19 to residents had ceased by the 30th of April, day 20, with 37 cases. The residential aged care facilities provider had recruited staff in anticipation of an outbreak. Training had commenced, but during the first few days, approximately 50% of this group was depleted because of infection or contact. 
Daily teleconferences began on the 15th of April 2020 with the participants including representatives from the Quality Commission, Department of Health, acute hospital specialists and the aged care provider. In the third week of the outbreak, registered nurses from the Federal Government Surge Workforce Strategy arrived. They were expected to supervise infection prevention and control measures, but none were credentialed as infection prevention and control professionals, and they were soon fully occupied with providing clinical care. Newmarch House managers were burdened by requests for information arising from teleconferences, including line listings of cases and details of the status of individual residents. Many of these requests were triggered by numerous complaints to the Quality Commission by anxious relatives, unable to contact Newmarch House. General practitioners had difficulty accessing clinical information because of a decision to record progress notes on paper. This decision was made due to the number of new staff who did not know how to access the electronic records. The residential aged care facilities managers who participated in the teleconferences reported frustration about conflicting advice from different agencies and the lack of clarity about the hierarchy of authority. Teleconference participants failed to identify themselves or the agency they represented and no minutes or action items were distributed to confirm or clarify the information or actions required. Staff working at Newmarch House often were unclear about who was in charge. There were frequent changes in the management team and many managers were new to their roles. The reviewers noted that there is no designated clinical leadership position within the Residential Aged Care Facilities executive team or any executive team member with a clinical background. The Commission issued an administrative direction on the 23rd of April to the Residential Aged Care Facilities provider to engage an external management team. This team of three senior managers had experienced the COVID-19 outbreak at another residential aged care facility, and one of the first changes was to implement 12-hour rostered shifts. Comments from the author. This was obviously a very difficult time for all concerned. Many people pitched in to support the residents at Newmarch House. The staff are to be commended for how they managed to keep going under extremely difficult circumstances. I can only imagine what it was like to turn up for work to a place where there was so much uncertainty with the media camped outside and ready to scrutinize every movement. Comments from the editor. There was some debate around this report and New South Wales Health provided a written response to Newmarch House independent review about their role. They described several key issues around the emergency response, personal protective equipment, family experiences, and what was done after the outbreak. Let's now listen to the pricey and comments into the outcome of Amnesty International's inquiry into the United Kingdom's response to COVID-19 and aged care. It's titled, As If Expendable. From Dr. Nicola Cunningham, Emergency and Forensic Physician. Background. 
On the 5th of October 2020, Amnesty International released a report that details the failings of local and national strategies in the United Kingdom to protect the public, in particular older people in care homes, during the COVID-19 pandemic. The 52-page report, as if expendable, focuses on failings amounting to avoidable human rights abuses and provides compelling insights into the excessive risk and disproportionately high death rates that have occurred in the aged care sector as a result of the failure to address those problems. Findings of the report. In the three months from March to June 2020, 18,562 residents of care homes in England died with COVID-19, a figure that represents almost 40% of all COVID-19 deaths in the country in the same period. With an overall 46% increase in deaths in care homes during that time, it is likely that this figure underestimates the true impact of COVID-19 in care homes with undiagnosed COVID-19 related deaths. Every person on the planet is entitled to their basic human rights. The right to life, the right to health, the right to non-discrimination, the right to private and family life, and the right not to be subjected to inhuman or degrading treatment. The Amnesty Report identifies a number of heedless and inexplicable COVID-19 policy decisions made by the UK government that violated the human rights and dignity of care home residents. These included mass discharges of suspected and positive COVID-19 patients from hospitals to care homes without prior COVID-19 testing, a failure to provide adequate personal protective equipment in care homes and a misguided directive that personal protective equipment was not required when staff and residents were asymptomatic a failure to assess the capacity of care homes to manage and isolate infected residents, a failure to ensure regular testing of care home staff and residents, the decision to impose a blanket do not resuscitate order on many care home residents without due process and to restrict residents' access to hospitals, the suspension of regular statutory oversight mechanisms of care homes as well as the barring of family visits. The Amnesty Report highlights the delays in the UK government's response to the pandemic crisis faced by care homes. Infection control and prevention plans were not announced until May 2020. Guidance that care homes would not be forced to admit residents to their care if unable to cope with the impact of the residents' COVID-19 illness was not released until June 2020. Regular COVID-19 testing was not announced till July 2020 and only pledged to reach all care homes by September 2020, long after the first cases were confirmed in the UK. The report also outlines the many work pressures on care home staff and the limited access residents had to primary, secondary and allied healthcare services. Staff were at increased risk of COVID-19 exposure and infection and were left having to perform a number of additional tasks for residents, such as assisting with communication with their families or GPs 
enforcing social distancing among residents with dementia, and fulfilling the duties of hairdressers and chiropodists. The COVID-19 pandemic in the UK has exposed the decision-making processes as well as the impact of decisions and policies made at all levels of authority on the rights of older people. The Amnesty Report concludes by calling for a full independent public inquiry to investigate what went wrong in the government's response. The authors argue that information relating to the spread of COVID-19 in care homes must be shared, as it is only through transparency and accountability that the necessary lessons are learned to prevent reoccurrence of the failings and ensure that, going forward, the rights and dignity of older people are placed front and centre of decisions and policies relating to COVID-19 and future pandemics. As England now faces its second wave of COVID-19 infections and enters another period of lockdown, it is imperative that work is urgently done to learn from past mistakes. Aged care sectors in every country should take heed of the failings presented in the Amnesty Report and the lessons learned in the UK and elsewhere so that governments implement better informed policies and processes to protect care home residents and staff. Let's now listen to the pricey into the outcome of Australia's Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety. Brief review of our national response to COVID-19 and aged care. This section is simply titled Aged Care and COVID-19, a special report. From Professor Joseph Ibrahim, Department of Forensic Medicine, Monash University. In Australia, the Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety released their special report into Australia's response to the COVID-19 pandemic in aged care on the 1st of October, 2020. The inquiry had been announced on the 17th of May, 2020, and drew on evidence from public hearings held between the 10th and 13th of August, 2020, as well as written submissions. As the terms of reference for this special investigation and report were limited, the Commission was only able to address what lessons have been and can still be learnt. The Royal Commission did not investigate or report on what went wrong and why. It's also important to note that the Commission did not have the resources or time to conduct a full inquiry, which would have included an investigation of the second wave in Victoria. This is a significant limitation as Victoria accounted for the vast majority of residential aged care facilities and resident deaths across Australia. There were four areas for action, which are detailed in six recommendations. One, additional funding for residential aged care facilities to ensure there are adequate staff available to manage an increase in the number of visits to residents by family and friends. Two, creating Medicare benefits schedule items to increase the provision of allied health and mental health services for residents to prevent deterioration in their physical and mental health. Three, Australian government should publish a national aged care plan for COVID-19 and establish a national aged care advisory body. And four, 
Australian government should arrange for the deployment of accredited infection prevention and control experts into residential aged care facilities. The first recommendation was a requirement for the federal government to report back to Parliament by the 1st of December 2020 about progress for implementation of the five recommendations. Let's now listen to the pricey of the interim findings from Canada titled Ontario's Long-Term Care COVID-19 Commission. Ontario's Long-Term Care COVID-19 Commission from Professor Joseph Ibrahim, PhD, FRACP, Department of Forensic Medicine, Monash University. There is an inquiry occurring in the province of Ontario, Canada. This commission was announced on July 29, 2020, and a final report due by April 30, 2021. The commission is to investigate why COVID-19 had such a devastating impact on residents, their families and staff of long-term care homes, the term used for residential aged care services in Ontario. The commission was established because by the end of April 2020, in the first wave of the pandemic, 55% of all long-term care homes had experienced COVID-19 outbreaks and 75% of all COVID-related deaths in the province were in long-term care. In its interim report, which is in the form of a five-page report, the inquiry identified some of the common characteristics among the most impacted homes were location in communities with high infection rates, insufficient leadership capacity, pre-existing and COVID-related staffing shortages, and a lack of strong infection prevention and control measures, including difficulty cohorting and isolating positive residents, often because of limitations of the physical environment. The Commission made 11 interim recommendations in three areas, increased staffing, strengthen healthcare sector relationships and collaboration, and strengthening infection control and prevention measures. Let's now listen to a pricey about a new screening tool specifically designed for aged care settings, and this is freely available on the web. The segment is titled, Clinical Screening Tool for COVID-19 in Residential Aged Care Facilities. SaferCare Victoria released a clinical screening tool specifically designed for residential aged care facilities. Its purpose is to reduce the risk of COVID-19 transmission and providing prompt management for residents infected with COVID-19. Our team worked with SaferCare Victoria to design a clinical approach that addresses the pathophysiological changes of ageing and recognises the different presentations of illness in older people. It is a simple tool that is time and resource efficient and designed to be applied to the existing aged care workforce. The initial feedback from the sector has been very positive. Reports from residential aged care facilities using this tool indicate identifying residents who are unwell from COVID-19 and other clinical causes much earlier. The benefit is a quicker and more definitive intervention, and it has had a positive impact on organisational culture. 
The tool is inclusive, requiring resident, family, personal care workers, nurses, and general practitioners to work together. The screening tool creates an environment where any staff member who says a resident is not their usual self is listened to and further assessment is undertaken. Download the screening tool from Safer Care Victoria at www.bettersafecare.vic.gov.au slash resources slash tools slash COVID-19 screening tool for residential aged care services. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. Remember the online print versions are available at our website. This will also include a list of resources and any references that the experts recommended. I'm Joseph Ibrahim. Thanks for listening.